morning. Can everybody hear me? Well, welcome everyone. I want to say uh, a hearty welcome to all of our guests and our visitors. If you happen to be on vacation and you're just in Kingston vacationing and you're checking out our church, we just want to welcome you here and uh, we pray and hope that you will have a chance to encounter God this morning. And for all those who are a regular part of Impact and you're coming back from vacation, thank you so much for showing up on my day uh, so that I can feel supported. Thank you very much. I think the wheelers are back today. You had to have come back just for me, right guys? Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, it is an absolute honor for me to um, have the trust and the honor of my pastors and ultimately of God to be able to share a three-part series with you while they're on vacation. Um, and I'm going to be sharing a three-part series called Extraordinary, which I'm very, very excited about. Um, before I get going on that, though, I do need to... Oh, good. So the PowerPoint for my PowerPoint's going. Excellent. <laughs> I was going to say, without it, I might be in a little trouble because I need it for a few things. Um, but this morning, actually, I want to give you a quick, funny story this morning. So I left my home at about 8.25, and I live over on the west side off of Highway 2, just about three minutes east of the base. And obviously, I have to come all the way over to the east side. And it takes me about 25 minutes. And I love, actually, Sunday mornings because literally, obviously, mo for the most part, either you're getting ready for church at that point or a lot of people are just sleeping in because it's Sunday morning. So there's no traffic. So most of the time, it's like it's clear sailing. There's nobody on the roads, et cetera, et cetera. So confession time. So because of that, I have a little bit of a lead foot on Sunday mornings. So this morning, I'm going through some intersections that are right at the military base. And the speed limit there is 60 kilometers an hour. Um, I was doing 80. The lights were green, okay? So as I'm coming up to the green light, suddenly to my right, I realize, oh, there is a police officer <clears throat> at the intersection that I'm just about to go through at 80 kilometers in a 60. And so as I go through, I'm like, okay, just don't slow down. If he sees you slowing down, he go he's just going to, you know, he's going to know what's going on. Maybe he doesn't have a speedometer or, or radar, you know, whatever reads your speed. And I'm thinking, okay, just, just, just go. <laughs> so I get through, and as I'm going through the intersection, I'm looking through my rear view mirror, of course, as we all do, those who disobey the law. Um, <laughs> your preacher this morning. Yeah. I'll come and confess. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm looking in my rear view mirror, checking to see... Is he coming? Is the lights going on? Do I need to be slowing down and pulling over and going, I'm so sorry, officer, I have to speak at church this morning. <laughs> but, and so I'm looking in the river mirror, I don't see any lights going on, he's not putting on his signal, he's not turning anything, and my first initial response was, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but then instantly on the heels of that, I was like, hmm, actually, you know what, Jesus, I don't think that was your grace. <laughs> Because I just disobeyed the law. And so God, in just seconds, kind of give, gave me a different perspective on that particular incident, that I was disobeying the law, but I was then thanking him when I didn't get corrected on it. And I was thinking, you know, isn't that just like the way that we live sometimes, that we think we're being blessed and graced and in the mercy of God for some things, but he sometimes needs to come along and just give us a little perspective shift and say, you know what, you're not quite adjusted, you're not quite aligned up with the, the, the rules or the law or the regulations or the boundaries that I have put uh, and set for you, 
Um, so I just need to adjust your perspective a little bit so that you can come under that blessing. And, and isn't it like us, too, to look at that and go, you know what, that was a law. It was a 60-kilometer speed limit, and that law was there to limit me. But that's how we see it. We think sometimes that rules and regulations and boundaries and limitations are there to limit us. But what they're actually there to do is to protect us. Because what that officer would have done if he had actually stopped me and was doing, he was doing the right thing, he's saying, I'm not here to limit you in your behavior. I'm not here to limit you in having fun or all those things. I'm here to protect you. And, and I do see Mark, who is a police officer here. So, <laughs> Mark, I apologize. I have confessed before the church. It's now your duty to forgive me. <laughs> God just wanted to give you guys an illustration from the pastor this morning about this message. Well, this message is on extraordinary, and um, what I'm going to have to do, and if you guys could bear with me for just a little bit, I'm going to have to build a foundation of some things before I can actually get to what I want to share with you today. Is that okay? You guys can hold in there for a little bit? Okay. Um, So the first slide going up, this is called a perspective artwork piece. And some of you might, if you're an artist here, you would know that that perspective is, it leads to a very narrow point. And um, it's also leading us in a particular direction. So when we have a perspective on something, sometimes it can be very narrow, and sometimes it can lead us in a a particular direction. So when we're thinking of perspective, as you then would, would imagine, you want to make sure that you have the correct perspective. And the next slide, Perspectives can also be individual, so people see things from a different perspective. So, quickly, how many people here are seeing the young woman with her head turned slightly away? Okay, some of you. And who here may be seeing the old woman in her fur coat? Okay, so half and half almost. So, and now how many can see both images? Yeah, so once, sometimes you can see one image, sometimes you can see another image, sometimes you can see both. But for now, who can, for those who can see both, is it really hard not to then unsee that extra image? It's really hard to do that. Once, once you catch another perspective, another image, it's really hard not to see it. Um, so our, our, this morning, what I believe God is wanting to do is I believe he's wanting to bring a slight perspective shift so that we can see another image. Um, and for some this morning, I really believe that a perspective shift for you is going to be a big key, a huge key to breakthrough in your lives. And um, that key shift will break off maybe a lie that you're carrying with you this morning, a misconception or a limitation. And um, I'm just going to give you a quick example. So from 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, it says, But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. And I give this as an example because early on in my Christianity, um, I was coming out of a lot of rules and regulations and traditions that I knew of God. I knew God wanted me to do this, this, and this, and and, uh, in order for me to be good and, and, and I was a new Christian, so I was kind of trying to learn about the grace of God and he had given me this scripture because I had such a heart to be holy before God. Sometimes when you come to Christ, 
you want so desperately to be away from your past and the way and the behaviors and the things that you used to do and the thought process and all that is that sometimes we begin to try to put those, those um, new behaviors into place ourselves instead of allowing God to work them out from the inside out. And so we think, well, we have to be holy. We have to do this. We have to do that. And as I'm reading this scripture, um, I kept hearing God ask me to read it again and read it again and read it again, and I couldn't figure it out. I just said, but, well, God, you said be holy because I'm holy, so you need to put these rules into place. You need to put these laws into place so that we can be holy. And finally, after reading it one more time over, I heard him say to me, Rachel, I'm not asking you to be holy. I'm saying you will be holy, for I am holy. So when the presence of God lives inside of us, and he's holy, it's the person of the Holy Spirit. He says, I will work out in you all of those things that I require of you. I will give you the grace and empowerment to do what the truth requires you to do. And so that was a slight perspective shift for me, and it changed me from a place of thinking legalistically to thinking grace. And, you know, when we think of grace, sometimes we think of grace as, you know, if that police officer, when he didn't stop me, I might have said, well, that was grace. That wasn't grace. That was probably his mercy. <laughs> and he was like, oh, well, she's the only one on the road, and I see her slowing down, so I don't know. Or maybe he was on his cell phone. I don't know. I'm sorry, Mark. <laughs> you guys would never do that. <laughs> it's against the law. You'd never do that. Um, but so that perspective shift for me, though, it changed me from the law to grace because law brings death and limitations, and it causes us to feel like we have fallen short of the mark. But grace enables us and empowers us to hit the mark of holiness that God requires of us. Um, a great quote that I think is uh, particularly indicative of what God would want to do this morning, it's from Stephen Furtick, says this, what if God's presence isn't here to take away our problems necessarily, but what if his presence is here to bring a different perspective? And I believe that sometimes, and there may be somebody here today, that you have had problems that you have wanted God to remove. Maybe it's a situation, maybe it's a circumstance, maybe it's a relationship that has been difficult for you, but you have viewed it as a problem. Maybe it's in your job, and you've wanted God to remove it. But what he wants to do this morning, maybe, is he wants to shift your perspective and help you perceive that what you thought was a problem is actually the very thing that God wants to use to propel you forward. And I believe this morning that there's also not only a perspective shift that God wants to bring to us this morning, but he also wants to lift off a weight that we've been carrying on our lives so that we can begin to move in that power, that anointing, that fresh fire of God that James was speaking of this morning so that uh, we can do the very things that God wants us to do because God does want us to make an impact. He does want us to be an influence on our friends and our families and our communities and ultimately our city and even to the nation. God does want us to be the vision that the world so desperately needs. And just to describe what that, that vision is, God's been just talking about what, it, what is it to be the vision God wants us to be in the world. And um, for some of you, if you know who Steve Jobs is, 
and have read any of his material or anything like that, you might have heard him use the phrase, jump the curve. And basically what he's saying is that for him in terms of technology, he always taught his people that if you, if you want to be ahead in business, if you want to be on the cutting edge of technology, you need to jump the curve. So you need to see beyond what people need, see beyond where they're already at, and give them um, a vision of, where, of what they want, where they want to be. And um, God was speaking to me through that phrase, the same thing, and he said, I want my people to be that same vision. I want them to jump the curve. I don't want them to be reactive. I want them to be proactive. And as I sought him about what is that vision you want us to be, um, because, you know, you're like, okay, well, you want us to be a vision. Well, what's that vision, right? And um, the vision, I believe, of, of when you jump the curve, right, you see beyond the curve. You see what's already um, around the corner, and God has the ability to help us to do that. And I believe that vision is this, that we are to be an ordinary people, anointed and empowered by an extraordinary God. And I believe the weight he wants to lift off this morning, so a perspective shift and a weight lift, he wants to lift off the feeling that we must already be extraordinary for God in order for him to move through our lives. That's a lie that he wants to give a perspective shift this morning. We don't have to be already extraordinary for him to move in our lives. He wants to move that feeling that we need to have been born with a star over our crib for God to work those extraordinary things for us. And, uh, you know, it's what the world teaches. And unfortunately, it's also to some degree, and, and perhaps uh, mistakenly, the church has kind of taught that as well, as we lift up different, you know, biblical characters uh, in the Bible. And you can look through absolutely every biblical character in the Bible. And what we have a tendency to do is we pick out those biblical characters, and God says, yes, there are heroes of the faith. And they have strong faith. But not at any point, if you read anything about any of the biographies of any of the biblical characters, has he ever said that they were extraordinary to begin with and had to be born with a star over their crib in order for God to use them. In fact, they were all ordinary with an extraordinary God. And if you look at the Apostle Paul, you know, most of us can know the Apostle Paul. You may be here and you have no never read a Bible, never been in church, but often you've probably heard of the Apostle Paul, uh, greatest apostle of the New Testament, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, was originally a, a zealous Pharisee, uh, had the right place of birth, the right family. He was, um, he was of Jewish descent, but Roman citizen, so he had all of the pedigree. He, he sat under the best teachers in, in, um, in rabbinical... Uh, um, teachings, and he was zealous for God, but he murdered people thinking that he was doing God a favor, and God had to knock him off his high horse and say, you know what, Paul, you're an ordinary guy, and you haven't been following the extraordinary God that I have sent to sacrifice his life for you, but now you're going to come into that kingdom, you're going to come into Christ, you're going to come into where you can recognize you're an ordinary guy. And I'm going to raise you up to be an extraordinary guy because of my presence upon your life. And um, sometimes we have a tendency to elevate Paul to this place of heroship where we, we, he becomes untouchable and unattainable. Um, but that's not what God meant for us to take out of those scriptures. What he meant for us to take is that we are an ordinary people 
with an extraordinary God, and He can move in and upon our lives. And so the, let me say this morning, uh, if you need clarification on this, is that the only person who had a star over his crib was Jesus. He was the only one. So we can just kind of go, ha, huh. we don't have to have a star over crib. The one and only Son of God had the star over his crib, and that's all that's needed. So we are an ordinary people, but with an extraordinary God. Acts 4 and 13 says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These guys were fishermen. They were just ordinary men on the Sea of Galilee and God calls them to follow him and they end up being his disciples spreading the gospel uh, around the world uh, in their place of the world at that time. Other disciples that were betrayers, tax collectors, prostitutes. They were just ordinary people with an extraordinary God. But somewhere along the way for us, we have taken on a perspective that we have to be extraordinary instead of God. So in some ways, we're canceling out the grace and the empowerment that God wants to give us because we're trying to be extraordinary instead of leaving it to Him. And this leaves us weak as Christians, and we struggle, and we strive, and we think, God, I'm doing this, and I'm doing that for you, and I know I should do this, and I know I should do that, and I'm a Christian, and I should know this, and we struggle, and we strain, and trying to do the things that we have to do all on our own, and we try to be extraordinary, and we, we make void the power of God because we're trying to do God's job and that's only God's job. And we end up carrying something that we were never meant to carry. I'm going to share some more on this um, next week. But um, when we try to be extraordinary without God, we actually end up stealing from his glory. And we're not called to make ourselves famous. We're called to make God famous. So next week when we're, we're going to take a look at an extraordinary God, we're going to be working with that a little bit more. But when we carry something that we're not meant to carry, we take away something that's only God's job. And in God's kingdom, when we carry something that we're not meant to, we feel the weight of it through stress. That stress often manifests itself in things like anxieties, fears, inadequacies, insecurity, unrest, failure a sense of disillusionment and discouragement. If you feel those things this morning, I want you to ask God, are you carrying something? Are you carrying a weight that you were never meant to carry? What are you carrying this morning? And can I just quickly mention, when we were singing the song, Spirit of the Living God, and he said, God comes to remove our fears. I've just felt God prompting to say that they're right now in this generation, I think the greatest thing that people struggle with is a spirit of fear. 
And the reason why I think that's happening, the reason why I think the enemy is coming against his people with such fear is because he himself is terrorized with the thought that there are going to be a people that rise up with the spirit of the living God inside of them, and they're going to begin to know who God is. They're going to begin to know who they are, and they're going to do great exploits because they're going to know they're an ordinary people with an extraordinary God. And I believe the next generation, and I speak to the young people that are here today, that I believe that you're going to be a generation that goes stronger, harder, faster than any generation has ever done in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ around this world. So if you're here this morning and you struggle with a spirit of fear, I believe that is a weight that you're not meant to carry, and God wants to lift that off of you this morning by the grace and the empowerment of an extraordinary God. So this morning we're going to be talking about ordinary people, and that's the foundation I had to lay to get to where I want to land on today. And that foundation, too, will get us through all of the series, so I won't have to lay that foundation again in the next couple of weeks. Um, So sorry that it took so long to kind of get where we were going. But So today we're talking about ordinary people. Next week we're talking about an extraordinary God. And in the third, third week we're going to be talking about the extraordinary perfection of imperfection. Um, this has been an exciting time for me. This, uh, I've been looking forward to giving this message. So if we, I'm just going to switch gears at the moment. And just as I do that, I just want to pray before we twi- switch gears on this. So Father, we just thank you so much that your presence is here to remove lies and limitations and misconceptions and perspectives, God, so that we can see you clearly. Father, I just pray that you would come now through the power of the Holy Spirit and that you would land on your people, that when they go away from this place today, that they would be changed and transformed, that they would not be the same as when they walked in, God. They would walk out at different people seeing a different image that they can't unsee. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah 1 and 10 says, Know for certain that I hereby give you the authority to announce to nations and kingdoms that they will be uprooted, torn down, destroyed, and demolished, rebuilt, and firmly planted. God had gave the prophet Jeremiah a mandate to, first of all, uproot tear down, destroy, and demolish, which means to overthrow. And I see that as Jeremiah being given the authority to uproot the enemy's plans, to uproot, tear down, destroy, and overthrow his lies, his activity. And I see that happening in our lives as well. And then God, when those things are uprooted, then God can rebuild and replant, firmly plant. Jeremiah was, was first given the mandate to judge the works of the enemy by uncovering it, revealing it for what it was, so that God could bring restoration. And restoration, rebuilding, and replanting can't happen without there first being an uprooting. And God often works this way in our lives as well. So first, he reveals where the enemy has been hiding through uprooting things like lies, misconceptions, limitations, perspectives. Then he begins to tear them down and destroy them 
through the word of God, through his truth, so that you can see where the lie has been planted, uproot it, re reveal it for what it is, and then have the truth of God replace it so it can be rebuilt and refinished. Um, then he tears them down and he destroys and overthrows those lies that have been planted in our lives so that he can, again, restore and rebuild. So why does God work this way in our lives? Because if we have a distorted image of God, then we will also have a distorted image of ourselves. Everything will be perceived through the lens of the enemy's activity instead of God's activity in our lives. What has been planted has been, and has been rooted in is very important for us to, to recognize, to see, and to understand. And the reason why that's very important is because plants produce after their own kind. So if you have a lie, if you have a limitation, if you have a wrong perspective, then if that is rooted into you, then you're going to see everything through that, and you're going to reproduce after that lie, that limitation, or that perspective. This morning, if I had said that, yes, that was God's grace, me going past the law, breaking the law, and thinking that was Jesus, who knows that's a lie that I could reproduce after its own kind. It's, it's teaching breaking the law, right? So we have to be very careful of what is rooted into our thought processes because it can nullify the word of God. As I mentioned briefly earlier, Mark 7 and 13 says this, thus you are nullifying and making void and of no effect the authority of the word of God through your tradition, which you in turn hand on, and many things of this kind you are doing. So if we're not careful, we can hand on those lies and traditions. And, and that's what I was speaking of when I was coming out of just becoming a Christian. I was coming out of certain traditions that I had to remove because it was hindering me. It was not allowing me to be fully in the grace and the truth of God. So God had to uproot the, those lies and, and reveal to me what was rooted in so he could replant and firmly establish. So to uproot something, which suggests that something was rooted in. In order for something to be rooted in, means there must be something that is solidly holding the roots. So a soil of some kind. And God often reveals where the enemy's work has been rooted in and what soil so that he can firmly replant and change that soil of the enemy's activity. Um, so in this series, God is going to not only perspective shift, weight lift off, but he's also going to um, uproot soils and perspectives that have kept lies rooted into a certain spot so that you can be restored and rebuilt and firmly planted. He wants us to be anointed in this culture with his activity, not the enemy's activity. So a question for us will be, what soil is holding the roots of your perspectives? Is it God's soil of truth, or is it the enemy's soil of lies, misconceptions, and limitations? We're going to also, in this series, uncover our, or, un, our ordinariness to reveal God's extraordinary. We're going to uncover the lie of believing in self and replace it with believing in God. We're going to begin to believe that God is enough, so we'll believe that we are enough unique and extraordinary because we are an ordinary people with an extraordinary God. And I just want to say that this series, this extraordinary series for me has been uh, birthed out of a 19-year journey. So I've been a Christian for 19 years. 
And I'm not going to share my journey per se, but this message is being birthed out of those 19 years. Um, and, and it has brought such freedom as God has slowly taught me over the years um, that it's good to be ordinary. It's okay to be ordinary. We don't have to strive and struggle to be extraordinary. That it's when we stop the striving and the struggling to be extraordinary that his presence can come on our ordinary. And um, I did a women's ministries. Well, I'm already, I'm still a women's ministries here, but in my previous church, I did women's ministries there for 11 years. And for the first seven years, and, and I am not kidding, for the first seven years, every month when I put together a women's ministries night, and my husband knows how much effort I put into that, every women's ministries night, and then the day after uh, the women's ministries night was over, I would cry for the whole day <laughs> because I, I never felt like I was doing exactly what God had asked me to do. I never felt like I was getting the response that, that all of that effort should have gotten. And, and so for seven years, every month, one of those days, I was crying out to God and saying, God, why do you want me as leader? Do you want me to step down? Please tell me you want me to step down. And after seven years, finally God came and he said, Rachel, I don't want you to step down because I have to, they used to do voting, so I was voted in 100% every year. Every year, yeah, we want you as women's ministries leader. Yes, we want you to do that. And I, and I would feel God saying, yes, do it, yes, do it, because everything in me said, no, I don't want to. No, I don't want to. Please tell me to step down. He said, I don't want you to step down. I want you to step aside. Do you know, it's easy to hear those words, and then we go, I get it, but how? I thought I was stepping aside. You know, I'd pray and I'd lay everything out before God. God, it's all yours. God, it's not me. God, it's all about you. <laughs> um, but then he began to do a stripping process, a removal of fleshly thoughts and ways and things that I didn't even know were things that I used to protect myself or to, to use as a defense or um, to... Um, portray myself in a certain way maybe to the women, um, those kinds of things. But he then began to help me to learn how to not step down, but to step aside. And I think this morning, I think throughout this series, again, that's part of that perspective shift. He wants to teach us how to just step aside. So we're still the people that we are. We're still doing what he's called us to do. But there's a perspective shift in our minds and in our hearts and in our spirits, a perspective shift in our behaviors where we have learned to step aside and say, you know what, I am okay with being ordinary because then the extraordinary God can come and cover my weaknesses and give me the strength to do what he has called me to do in his power and in his anointing. And yes, there's a subtlety to this, and I think it's different for everybody in how we learn it, but there's a place where we think we have died to self, but there's still a part of self that is rooted in and still going on, and God is still wanting to purge and get rid of that, remove that, so that it's just purely his presence coming upon his people, so that we are not revealing ourselves, we're not revealing, we're not making our own kingdom, we're revealing God, making him famous, and bringing his kingdom here on earth. The definition for ordinary is of no special quality or interest. It's commonplace, unexceptional, undistinguished, customary, usual, or normal. 
an extraordinary definition is beyond what is ordinary, noteworthy, or remarkable. And often the world sees, and ourselves, we see ordinary as things like, you know what, I've got an ordinary nine-to-five job. I've been educated, but I'm not a doctor, so I am ordinary. I have a bungalow and not a mansion, so I have an ordinary home. And we see extraordinary as things like Winston Churchill's and Albert Einstein's and Martin Luther's and Billy Graham's. And we sometimes we feel ourselves as being ordinary in that we think, well, I'm not talented enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the right family. I don't have the right house. I don't have the right job. And we view ourselves as ordinary because we think we're failures, unworthy, and incapable, but, or that God can only use someone already extraordinary. But when God says we're ordinary, he's not saying you're unworthy. He's not saying you're incapable. He's not saying that you're a failure. He's saying that you're ordinary because I put absolutely everybody on the same plane in the gospel because isn't it just like God to make sure that everybody has the ability to touch the extraordinary? Isn't it like God to spread a gospel that says, you know what, I put everybody at the foot of the cross. There is nobody that stands out. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody is on the same level at the foot of the cross. Everybody has to repent. Everybody has to bow their knee before an extraordinary God in order to receive salvation, in order to receive the gift of the person of the Holy Spirit. Everybody's on the same level. So ordinary from the perspective of God says you're on the same level. It's not that you're unworthy, incapable, or that you have failed. But we think ordinary means those things, but not God. So he says it's okay for you to say you're an ordinary person, and he's an extraordinary God. Is that perspective shift coming across okay? Awesome. Um, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 to 12 says, We pray for you all the time. We pray that our God will make you fit for what he's called you to be. Pray that he'll fill your good ideas and acts of faith with his own energy so that it all amounts to something. If your life honors the name of Jesus, he will honor you. Grace is behind and through all of this, our God giving himself freely. God is saying that he will fill our ordinary lives with his own energy, so that it all amounts to something. Isn't that amazing? Everybody sitting here who feels ordinary, everybody here who says, is it possible that God could touch my life? Is it possible that God could move through my life? Is it possible? He says, yes. My extraordinary will touch your ordinary, and it will amount to something. Isn't that amazing? Your nine-to-five job, your housewife cleaning and getting the groceries and taking care of your family and doing those things that God has called you to do. God says he will give it his own energy and empower you with his presence to do the very things he's called you to do. Maybe it's raising your kids. When we go to God and we say, God, I am ordinary. You know what? I have no parental skills. 
Maybe you do, but just go before God. Say, I have no parental skills. I have nothing. I am ordinary. God, give me your own energy to make something of what you have called me to do, which is teach my children, grow up my children, bless my children. Let your extraordinary come on my ordinary. You know, the thing is that we don't have to try to believe in ourselves anymore when we're ordinary people. We get to just believe in God. There's just a perspective shift where everything goes. And you say, I can't do it. There is, I have absolutely nothing to offer you, God, but my ordinariness. And he says, that's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And my extraordinary power and anointing can now cover you. You've stepped aside. Uh, a, another great quote, and I, I don't know the author of it. It says, it's not about my lack of ability but about the expanse of his ability. And God says his extraordinary comes when we recognize our ordinary. And I'm just going to quickly walk through six things, and it's not going to take me long, that are some common areas that God strips us. Uh, in each part of our journey, there's different places in our journey where God will teach us these things. And, and this is the journey he's had me on over these 19 years. Now, it's not going to take you 19 years, just so you know. It doesn't have to. What God does with me is he does this in my life, and then he allows me to share it, and then it becomes alive in people's hearts. So it does not have to be 19 years for you. First of all, he'll strip us down until our trust is in him and not in others or the world. Um, he'll strip our identity until our identity is strictly in God as Father, and we know our adoption. He will strip our expectations until everything is in God, and it's about God, and we recognize that God is enough. Our expectations often get discouraged, and we get disillusioned because we put expectations on people instead of on God, and we think God isn't enough. I also need this person to do something, but God will take those people out of your way sometimes, and they will not allow... He will not allow them to fulfill your expectations because he doesn't want them to. He wants you to have your expectations in him so you can know he's enough, not the person. He will strip us of our will until it is strictly his, where you can say, God, you have my life. You have my will. Even if I don't want to, I will because you have my will. He will strip that from us. He will strip away sometimes hope in things until it is placed completely in Christ and in nothing else. Because nothing else can bring us hope. When the world uh, moves towards the end, there will be so many things that we don't have our hope in. Economics, uh, job stability, uh, nation stability, all of those things will be put into question. He's going to say, where is your hope then? Where is your hope then? We were praying in the prayer room earlier this morning that Jesus is the hope of the nations. Whether you're in Canada or Haiti or Honduras, where some of our people are today, um, Jesus is the hope of every nation. So where is your hope? He will strip our hope until it's in him, and then he will strip our confidence until it is placed strictly in him and nowhere else. The reason why he does this, and I'm going to ask Carly to come, is because it's all about him. He strips us down, and we think, you know, it's a really hard process, but he strips us down uh, so that his amazing presence can come on our lives, so that he can uh, 
un- so he can strip us down, so he can cover us with his presence. We're not trying to cover ourselves anymore, but he's covering us with his extraordinariness. And Romans 12, 1 and 3 says, and you can go ahead and play, uh, Carly. Or, yeah, and Heather's coming back up too. Romans 12, 1 and 3 says, Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. So you're 9 to 5, you're a housewife, you're, I don't have a job right now. Whatever it is, your ordinary life. And place it before God as an offering. And James was talking about that offering of daily sacrifice this morning. And God says, you know what your daily sacrifice is today? Just your daily, ordinary life. If you want to come and bring that life to me as an offering, it will not be turned away. And I will place my extraordinary on that offering of your ordinary. The scripture goes on to say, embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. It's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. Know God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he has done for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. Another great quote is, when we experience God for who he really is, we suddenly see ourselves for who we are. We no longer have that distorted image of God and a distorted image of ourselves or others. Suddenly we see God for who he is and we see ourselves for who we are. We see others for who we are. And in our ordinariness, God brings his extraordinary. You know, that's why God could come to Noah and he could say, Noah, build an ark. Okay. It's why he could come to Abraham and Sarah and say, you know what, you're barren, but you're going to have a child. It's why God could go to Moses and say, Moses, I want you to lead the people, your people, out of bondage and out of Egypt. Moses, what's in your hand? That's why God could say that to them, because he knew they were ordinary people, but he was an extraordinary God. So whatever God is asking you today, is he asking you to build something? Is he asking you to birth something? Is he saying to you, what's in your hand? It's okay. He can ask you that because he knows you're ordinary. But he's extraordinary. And he says, if you will come and you will offer your ordinary, he will put his own energy into that sacrifice, into that offering, and he will bring his extraordinary upon you, and you will be able to do and accomplish what he has called you to do this morning. So as Carling plays this morning, I'm just going to ask if you want prayer, if you want to offer your ordinary this morning, if you want to bring that before God and just lay things down at the altar this morning, and you want to step aside this morning, then I want to call you to do that. And I want you to ask these questions. What soil of perspective am I rooted in? Is it the enemy's or is it God's? What lies, limitations, misconceptions does God want to uproot and lift off of my life this morning? What is God wanting to rebuild and firmly plant in my life this morning? 
I'm just going to pray. Father, we just thank you that your presence 